Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hey, Kurt, it's, uh, it's always my favorite time of the week is sitting here talking basketball with you. Uh, but first and foremost, I got to know, how was your weekend? Everything good? How was your week? Weekend was good. I actually was up in Santa Barbara for a few days, dropping my daughter off for college orientation and, and, and checking out. By the way, not a lot of college. Her orientation dorm had an ocean view. Like, that's, oh, that's why you go to Santa Barbara. But it kind of sucked because the one thing I did want to do, I didn't get to go to the Drew League when LeBron uh, when LeBron showed up to play. Like, I, I would have been there for that if I'd been around in town. Uh, yeah, you and Draymond sitting courtside. No, and when you say show up <laughs> to play, I mean, it's like, what was that? So we're like 40, he dropped 40 points, right? 42, yeah. And, and the thing is, the Drew League's actually a pretty good level of basketball. Like, I've gone a few times. It's good college players, like not guys who are getting drafted necessarily, but like pros show up occasionally, but guys who play overseas, like it's not, it's not like a YMCA run. Like these guys can play ball and LeBron toyed with them, just toyed with them. Yeah. That's the thing that's always, always blows my mind. You know, when you see like, I feel like this is the same in tennis or something. Like, you know, I don't know if you've ever gone to like uh, a tennis court and you play with like a tennis pro and like, you know, you're rallying and you're like, wow, this is, I'm pretty good. Right. And then they actually like start playing and you're yeah. like, okay, wait a second. Everything is aces. You can't do anything. And you're like, I thought I was actually pretty decent at this game, but it turns out the pro was just playing to my level. I feel like there's always like the, the, the gaps between pro, you know, between NBA versus Drew League versus overseas versus it's just crazy, crazy distinction. Tennis is a great one because I've been to uh, the Indian Wells tournament out here and you can, oh, yeah. when you go, you can, you, yeah, you can sit in the main court and watch, you know, Federer and Nadal. But you can go sit on a – and my wife is really into tennis, so we'd go sit on some side court that seats maybe a 1,000 people and watch the number 42 player and 72 player in the world. And they're ridiculously good, men and women, like just crushing the ball, spinning it everywhere fast. You're like, it's insane to watch good tennis up close. Like it's – it, it's all – you're right. It's just a whole different level of like you can do that. Yeah, so I couldn't imagine what, I mean, because in New York, we have all the playgrounds and stuff. It's the same concept. You're like, oh, my goodness, you watch Kevin Durant come just show up at a ball, you know, at a playground and just drop whatever, 40 points. You're like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's a diff- different league, different league. Uh, DeMar DeRozan also balled out. Yeah, yeah, and he's actually, he, he look, he's born and raised in Compton, went to Compton High, uh, like, um, that's not far from there. He shows up. I don't want to say every year, but he's one of the guys who shows up a lot of years and just and plays a few days. They're lucky they didn't have you out there. Uh, but <laughs> you know, I spent I spent my week. I, I know you're, you're you're dying to know. Basically, no, I, I spent my my weekend just looking at art and eating pizza. So it was 
That's, that's about the most New York thing ever, though. That's kind of awesome. <laughs> I, I was like, I'm going to go to the Met and eat some pepperoni pizza. You call it a day. Um, yeah, it was pretty sweet. But now for, for BBT Extra, one of the things I've been ruminating on, while I had pizza in hand, you should have saw me, Kurt. I was there at the Met looking at a Van Gogh, right? And, and I'm looking at like, let's get Just pure pepperoni or do you throw other stuff on there? And how do you feel about pineapple? I'm cool with pineapple. You know, I mean, I'm cool with that. I, I think what, for most part, I, I go cheese. And then what I do is I learned this when I first moved to New York because I lived right above a pizzeria. And it was amazing, as you can imagine, as a, as you know, fresh, I just graduated college, moved to New York, and there's like down the block, like one street over pizzeria. And I would get it by the slice. And they're the biggest slice. They're bigger than my face, you know? So I was thinking, man, that's a big slice of pizza. What I would do is I would just get a, a cheese pizza. I would take it home. And this is, this. I'm giving you game right now. And I would um, put balsamic vinegar and olive oil on it and some salt. And you would take a $2 slice of pizza and make it gourmet. It would be like $10. It would taste like $10 slice of pizza. So that's what I do here. I just, you know, I just go get a cheese pizza and do the same thing. Just bring it home and then put balsamic and, and olive oil on it and some salt. Okay. Yeah. But while I was eating pizza and while I was looking at Van Gogh at the man, I was thinking to myself, what does Kurt think about um, – <laughs> DeAndre Aiden, <laughs> if you can imagine that, if you can imagine that security is fun, but it is, it's true. So we, we know that Aiden uh, got the, the max he was like seeking, which was right. amazing, quite frankly. I didn't think it was going to be out there. His agents believed, he believed, had a faith that moved mountains, got it. Four years, $133 million, Kurt, with the Pacers. With, it, it seemed like within moments, you know, the Suns matched it. Yeah. Um, where are you feeling? Do you think this is actually a feasible partnership now? That's a great question. I like at the press conference, everybody said the right things, didn't they? Like everybody, DeAndre, like I'm born and raised here. You know, I went to college in Arizona. This is where I want to be. We'll see. That was a rocky end of last season. Like it was Monty Morris kind of calling him out after like 17 minutes in the closeout game. Like it wasn't nothing. So I'm curious how that plays out. I think the advantage they have is, Corey, they got Monty Williams, right? If, if anybody, I feel like if anybody could smooth this situation out, it's Monty Williams. And by the way, I'm with you. I didn't think a match was out there for him. And, and yeah. wait, that was not, they didn't, they expected him to match. They didn't put the painful, like you can put all sorts of poison pills in, an, in one of those offers and, and have money up front or option years. You can make those painful for the team that matches them. They didn't. It was a straight four. Yeah, and, and he can't be traded until January 15th, if I'm not mistaken. And he, and he has a – he can't be traded without his consent for a year. So these are important things to note as far as just guardrails, like we're bowling with bumpers. But I, I will say, Kurt, from my perspective, I was um, – it's a mixed bag. Let me tell you why. On one hand, I understand Phoenix's position. They, they can't – not do this you know he's a number one overall draft pick you're a mid-market team you know like you have to get something in return you can't just let him walk that would be just bad business right so i understand that aspect of it but then i also think that there's a part there's an idea of what does it mean to be a good partner right and you know the guy like wanted to be extended like his his classmates who were named Trey Young and Luka Doncic. You know his, his agents are doing their job. They're being vocal with their displeasure. You see DeAndre Aiden come back the next year, increase his stats. Yes, the team didn't perform as well as, as he, they did before when he was playing, you know, whatever, 16 and 10, then he went 17 and 11. So we're talking about marginal increase, but it's, it's an increase in the professional league, right? So hats off to him the way he responded. 
but it looked like he wanted to be a franchise player. He doesn't want to be, you know, the third guy on the team because right now it goes Devin Booker, Chris Paul, then DeAndre. And so from my perspective, I'm thinking as, as a team, why wouldn't you let the guy go do that? Leave some money on the table, allow him to be, be a good partner, let him go, you know, follow his dream, be a franchise player. He's 24, see what happens, and then kind of retool. You can, you can find that 12 and 10, 16 and 10 production elsewhere. But I understand their position too. Like they couldn't let him walk. No, they couldn't let him walk. I was really surprised they just didn't work out. I expected a sign and trade. Once that got announced, like, but once he signed the offer sheet, it was over. But once he, there was an announcement for a while that he was going to. And I'm like, oh, now you've just forced their hand. But they've been trying, Indiana's been looking to trade Miles Turner all season, like all summer. Miles Turner brings, again, a lot of great shot blocking can space the floor from three, like brings a lot of things that Phoenix could use in place of Aiton and pay him a little less. And yeah, he's up in a year and you're going to have to work out a new contract with him. But I, I was surprised they didn't try to get Turner and a pick or another player in Mm -hmm. that deal and make something work where everybody was going to be a little happier because I think Aiton is, you're right. He's talked about wanting a bigger role and that's, that's fine. I think that's great, but it's just, it's just not going to happen in Phoenix. No. And, and so that's kind of what I mean. It's just like a hard rock. It's like a rock and a hard place. It's kind of like, okay, well, what's going to give? It's definitely not going to be the Suns, you know? So, so as, a, as a player, to me, you know what it reminded me of, Kurt? It reminded me of Jeremy Grant. Do you remember that? Yeah. In where it's like you got Michael Porter Jr., you got Jokic, back-to-back MVP caliber guy, and Jamal Murray. It's like you are the fourth player on that team. Yep. Now – you have a choice. Do you want to take less money and try to win a championship and be a role player on a good team? Or do you want to be the star on a bad team and get paid more money? He's chose to go be a star in Detroit on a bad team. What ended up happening is when you take that chance, which is like every athlete is expected to take that chance because you made your career proving people wrong and betting on yourself, right? You're a gambler. I understand that. So it's in your DNA. You go take that chance. You get paid for a minute. And then what happens? They draft. You know, they draft high. Then it's like, okay, well, now you're not as important to us. And then now he's on a, he got traded to Portland. So you become a high-paid mercenary and, and instead of a, a role player on a great team with a long career. And, and that journeyman mercenary role, it's tough, Kurt. It's tough. So I understand. I was like, if Aiden wants to go try to roll the dice and go for it. But, you know, in Phoenix, he's going to be a role player. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I Aiden, I, I still think. I, let's put it this way. I'd be surprised if he ends that contract with the Suns. I still think he eventually gets traded. But like we said, he can't be traded without his consent for a year. And my guess is, look, it was a 64-win team. Like, there's, they had the best it's record. Really good. <laughs> they're they're going to run it back and see how it goes. But my guess is, in a couple of years, I wouldn't be shocked if they, they shook this whole thing up. Um, and by the way, Rob, one thing to watch, that put them in the tax, by the way, right? Like, there's now almost $17 million into the tax. How's Robert Sarver going to handle that? Is he going to pay? He hasn't paid it since 2010. Is he going to pay it like every owner says they will to have a contender? I'm just, let's just say I'm watching that. Yeah, it seems, yeah, I'm not going to bring in the Premier League here. But, yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. it seems like, you know, if you want to win, you're going to have to dip into the luxury tax a little bit. It seems like yeah. that. But what's interesting is, the, the, another thing I just want to give my hats off to the, to the Suns, because I think what they're doing from a basketball standpoint is very smart, you know? So you look at this, they don't extend Aiden. 
they end up saving what, you know, ostensibly 60, 70, 80 million dollars. It's the same guy, the yeah. same deal. You, you know, <laughs> instead of having to sign him on and what Trey Young signed for uh, 200 plus million dollars, now they sign him for a max. And this was a best case scenario. If he could get the max offer, they would, they would be 133 million. So like in my mind, the same guy for $70 million cheaper. Yep. Great. But at what risk? And I think that's the part, the part with the whole good partner thing that I'm kind of in today's NBA where a disgruntled superstar can just mess up your entire chemistry, Kurt. Like we, we've seen this movie. We've seen this movie. movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, would you take that risk as a, as an, especially a 64 win or a team back-to-back -back coach of the year, you have a window. Would you take that risk? Yeah, I see. That's why I think, like, I think you're betting big on Monty Williams and Chris Paul being able to duct tape this thing together, whatever the chemistry needs to be for a couple of years. Because their window is, is, right now, right, their window is as long as Chris Paul can play at this level. And, well, he's, I want to say 37, like 36, 37, like, it, even though his game isn't completely based on athleticism, there comes a point, right, where it starts to slip. And if he slips at all, they just there's not a lot of margin for error there. Yeah, he uh, right now he signed until 2024, 2025. He'd be 39 years old, right, um, with a base salary of 30 million dollars a year. He becomes an unrestricted free agent in 2025 at age 40. So you're right, that window. They're in the, they're, It's like a two-year window for them. Three-year window. Yeah, it's a short. It's a short window, which is why you can't let Aiden walk. At the end of the day. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. So now I have to I have to bring this to, to our conversation now. I have to introduce what might be chemical X. <laughs> Kevin Durant. Was this was this a ploy? Help me understand. I wish I had a good answer for you on on this. It is, I will say this, the, the talks just talking to people around like it is slowed down what happened is everybody was in vegas everybody was talking everybody was well you know sweating like you guys are in new york right now like, it was, <laughs> it's hot it's hot yeah but vegas in, it was 110 during the day and you walk out of the building at 10 o'clock at night thinking oh it's night and it's like no it's still 90 like it's just ridiculous but everybody left and for the first time in like three years Corey, there's a vacation because of the pandemic and the bubble and the shortened off seasons there really hasn't been a traditional vacation break window for the NBA for a few years. And guys are taking advantage of that, right? Front office guys are like, yeah, I'm gone. After Vegas, I'm going here. I'm going there. I'm taking my family to Europe or I'm where, where, where it's stupid hot or they can go wherever. Right. But like they were wanting to get away. And so with that, everybody's talks have slowed down. And that includes Durant right now where that's haven't seen an offer they liked, but I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's a ploy to get Kyrie Irving traded like he wants and if he wants to stay. And I, the problem is, I think ultimately, the Nets don't know, do they? Like, the Nets, yeah, yeah. I, feel like, like, I feel like no no one knows. And the fact that, like, you know, especially the past couple of years, the, the reign of Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn, um, I, I, I'm not even sure, like, yeah. if, if anyone knows. 
Well, and it's it's a challenge because a the Nets want to trade Durant first or get that situation settled. If he's if he really just did this to get Kyrie Irving traded, tell the Nets that so that they can move on that. The problem there is again the Kyrie Irving thing. I think we've discussed this before. It's it's well documented. There's one team interested. It's the Lakers, and they've got to move Russell Westbrook, which bringing in a third team, which means the Lakers giving up picks, and it gets it gets messy. I still ultimately think that it probably gets done. Unless Kyrie Irving decides to stay with Brooklyn, you know, which is what he's saying, but I, it is. There's so many mixed messages. It's so confusing. I don't know that this thing gets resolved anytime soon, right? Like, I just do. do you see a resolution? Uh, no, I mean, yeah, I want it. My heart says yes, but <laughs> but but my mind says no, and I and I have to go with my mind on this one. The, the thing is, it's interesting with. With this whole, you know, Seven Eleven in, in Brooklyn always open. The idea of like, to me, it's kind of like you just ride it out, and, and I think it's going to uh, just kind of work itself out in its own. Like, it comes to a natural end, you know, because like, well, it's a player yeah. option for for Kyrie. So you're thinking, okay, maybe one year left, and then we kind of figure this out. I do think when when I saw Kevin Durant request a trade, that was really fascinating to me because then that kind of introduced me to this the headspace of KD because we've seen him be a vociferous defender of, you know, Kyrie, like all season long, right? He's like, the guy's a master, like, you know, like, I'm not worried about chemistry, like, you know, Kevin Durant kind of protected him all season long. So that's kind of what really piqued my interest. And I think that when I looked at James Harden's comments, I don't know in Philly, we're going to get to this, but I'm just going to bring it up just briefly to to kind of make them a point. He's like, I'm at the stage in my career where like, I'll take less money. Give me whatever is left over. I just want to win. That's how bad I want to win. Quite frankly, I feel like at, as a competitor, that should have been, you know, that's where you are at the beginning. But but I understand when you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars and, you know, getting your family settled, you know, set for the rest of your life, different priorities at different you know, stages in your life. So we're looking at, like, I think Kevin Durant also entering into that. I just want to win. And we've seen that in his comments. He's like, I just want to win. Um, but is protecting Kyrie the way to do it? And I think right now it's just kind of let's just winter's cold. Let's just buckle up for, for the next year, and hopefully, hopefully the, the sun will come out and we'll be able to do that soon. I think if you're Kyrie Irving, you had to look at this experience where you kind of tried to find a trade and you asked out and every everything that went on, and realize there wasn't a market for you, and you're going to be a free agent in a year. And where is this money coming from? Who is giving you max money? I think. Wherever he plays, he's got to A, play, and then B, like really ball out this year. He's got to have a big year and show what he can do to rekindle the market where people are like, yeah, he can be challenging as to us as an organization on some levels maybe, but it's worth it because look what we get. And by the way, if he does that in Brooklyn, if the Nets roll back with Irving and Durant and Ben Simmons, they're contenders. They've still got Patty Mills. They've got like they, they put off they're still contenders. Good team. Yeah, I mean, they got talent. I, I do agree with that. I mean, they have this is like it's almost kind of like you know, fool me once, you yeah. know, fool me twice. Yeah. That's what I feel about Brooklyn. Like as soon as we see that roster every year, you and I are like championship contenders. We're right. Yeah. <laughs> and then we kind of like as the season goes on, they kind of like slowly fall down our ladder until we're like, this is untenable. What are we thinking? Right. And so to me, I'm a little cautious. Yeah. No, I'm I'm with you. I Let's put it this way, and we'll talk more about my power rankings later. I have the Nets 12th because 
and literally just wrote, I don't know where to put them. <laughs> I don't know what to do with them. That, that could be way too low or way too high. I don't know. Let's go to Los Angeles. You mentioned that they might be a destination for Kyrie. What's really interesting is the tune, the melody coming out of LA. You know, it's uh, it has changed dramatically. The past, let's just look at the past year and a half, shall we? Uh, this is a quick little history <laughs> of the melody. Carmelo, Russell Westbrook joining LeBron, one of the oldest rosters in the NBA, but just laden with all-stars. The return of Dwight Howard, we're like, this is a super team. It's like Space Jam. What's going to happen? It's just uh, immediately they're going to win a championship. Everyone's excited about it. Then all the blame goes to Russell Westbrook and Frank Vogel. Frank Vogel's out. Russell Westbrook getting threats like by people. And then now we see a, a new head coach who has been very vocal about his support for Russell Westbrook. All the while, the only team interested in Kyrie Irving is Los Angeles. But like you said, they might actually get rid of Russell Westbrook. How, how do we make sense of this, Kurt? I don't know. And it, it, it's got to start with Westbrook. Look, what gets interesting for me with Westbrook is Darvin Ham is saying, hey, I need buy-in from him, right? I need him to defend. We, we are going to be a defensive first team. And he's all but said, look, look, he's got to cut off the ball. He's got to set picks for LeBron. He's got to do the, you know, play within the system that we're going to set up. The things that he did not do, like Frank Vogel, everybody knows this. Like, this isn't some great secret. Frank Vogel wanted him to do it. He just wasn't doing it. And Vogel couldn't bring him off the bench because he feared he would lose him. Like, as just a, just, that would do it. It would mentally be too far gone. Um, Ham is saying all those things. Is Westbrook going to do them? And, he fired his agent this week, and his agent, Todd Fletcher, who had been his agent since he entered the league with Wasserman, put out a rather extraordinary statement. Yeah, that statement was really interesting. <laughs> yeah, where he basically said, we disagree on what's next for Russell Westbrook. I've told him, he basically, he needs to buy in what, to what Darvin Ham is selling and have a big year because, again, much like Kyrie Irving, he's up for another contract. And how much money is out there? What's the market for Westbrook? And Westbrook fired him. And it's it reads as a sign that he doesn't want to accept that role, that he still believes he's a number one option, that he is still MVP level Russell Westbrook. And if that's the case, it really doesn't matter what LeBron and and AD and, you know, and Westbrook say on a phone call. By the way, phone call. It's 2022. Did they not FaceTime? <laughs> like, but, but you, mentioned, you mentioned that contract, and this is like this is that agent statement. Yeah. First of all, astonished me. Yes, I was just like, what? And then let's look at the actual contract itself, right? So remember, he was with OKC, and it was um, a five-year, two hundred six million dollar contract, right? Right. The very next year, Houston. The very next year, Washington. Then the very next year, the, the Lakers. So you're looking at four teams in four years. And then coming into this season, there's a question, would it be five teams? In, you know, like think about on a max deal, five teams in five years on a max deal. That would have been like this is this is the key thing that I think players need to understand because we have we're in a we're in a moment of like unprecedented player movement, which I think is great. Uh, but there also is this element of like, well, how do you and you address it? How do you reset your value? And the answer is you don't like, you know, like it's very hard to reset your value when you're making $47 million a year and you're a role player, right? And then no team is like, okay, well, what's the market for me? 
And if I'm not willing to accept that role and no one's willing to pay me max money, then what happens? The answer is, and we, we saw this with Blake Griffin in Brooklyn, the answer is you try to join a team that is a championship contender on a veteran minimum. Or what, what John Wall's doing was, you know, you're, you're on a, a mid-level taxpayer exception, you know, like, and that, and then after that, your value is now set at veteran league minimums for the rest of your career. And once you're there, it is so hard to get out of that, right? Like once yeah, you're it's just like, yeah, once you're seen as that and, and you're not, and I think that that's the concern. If you, he gets bought out, if, if Westbrook gets traded to, look, hypothetically, Brooklyn, the, your, your Spurs get mentioned because they've got the cap space, they, but they would absorb him and buy him out. He would sign somewhere for the league minimum, but once you're a league minimum guy, it's hard to get, you have to really have a good season to get money again. And, 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 and it's like, we're talking about a guy who just signed a contract for $200 million. So it's not like he needs money, but it's this idea of like, I want to be paid commensurate, commensurate, commensurate excuse me, with, you know, the, the value that I believe I bring. And this is one of those things that in DeAndre Aiden's dealing with this at the very beginning of his career with this restricted free agency, but this idea of like, well, I'm a former MVP or I'm a former number one overall draft pick. I'm not a role player. I don't come off the bench. You know, like that concept is very hard for guys to, to you know, how do you go from seven? Imagine like, you know, any other any other profession, you go from making C-suite level money to the very next year, like a, a minimum wage or intern. It's just like the ego is very hard. And then the people around you, it's like, well, why aren't you getting paid CEO money? Aren't you a C-suite level executive? It's like, why are you getting paid the same as these interns? They're not all stars. They're not all MBAs. They're not, you know? And it's very difficult, uh, the mental aspect of that, uh, to be humbled like that. And I think this idea of like desire without restraint, Kurt, is just really fascinating to me because we see this all the time. It's not working in my place. I've signed, you know, two years into a deal, I request a trade. You force a trade, but at what cost? You know, short term, long term, uh, and it never works out. It's, it's it's a sticky situation. And I'm not sure, like, look, the, the, Lake, the Lakers as an organization realize that if they run it back with Westbrook and everybody's on the same page and the biggest key for their season remains Anthony Davis and him being healthy and, and, and make a shot. But even if all that goes right as constructed, they are not a contender. They're not, they're just, they're not in the mix. They are not a threat to the Suns, the Clippers, whoever else you want to put at the top of the West. Like they're not there. I so think that's where, that's where the Kyrie thing comes in because Kyrie's just an upgrade over Westbrook. And so there's a chance, but it, it's a, a lot of things have to go right in LA. The, the thing that I think is really interesting is this idea of like LeBron doing the Drew League, because we know that LeBron is a master marketer. Yeah. And we know everything's happening around LA. Like people are asking, like, can they win? You know, like what's going to happen? Like, is LeBron still the, the player? He, by the way, he's coming off of an unbelievable season, right? Uh, so it's kind of like, I think that that was a little bit of, of a message too to the world and to the media. It's like, hey, I can still drop 40 whenever I want to, you know, like people come still play with me. You know, I, I think there's always an element of recruiting and marketing there that we can't. I don't, I don't feel like LeBron just does things without, uh, you know, premeditating. No, he, actually, that's a very astute point, And he doesn't. He's he he's been in the spotlight since he was in high school. And he knows how to use it. Yeah, so the player GM era, I'm telling you, it has me scratching my head. Kurt, I'm telling you, eating this pizza, looking at Van Gogh, scratching my head, thinking, what in the world are we, we going to get ourselves into? So James Hart, this one is um, this is another head scratcher. It seems as though he's reached that level of maturity in his career. And, and I don't mean that you know in, in any sort of 
uh, disrespectful way, but it's just like the, the these you know the lifespan of a career. Generally speaking, you reach a point where you made enough money. You know, what do you want to do now? That you're you're finance, you're like it's like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like I'm good, my my family's good, I'm not hungry anymore. What do I want to do? The answer is win a championship. So he told Daramori, you know, he he said quoted this. He's like, get who you need to get. We had a conversation. Get whoever you need to get, and then just pay me whatever is left over. Yeah. Um, what what did you think about that uh, mindset shift for James? First off. Credit Daryl Morey for doing it right, right? Like he got this money. So who did he go out and get? He got P.J. Tucker, proven playoff guy, corner three, can defend multiple positions, gives them options. Daniel House, another great fit. Trades for DeAnthony Melton. Like here's what I came to out of this. They used that money really well. Harden's going to take $32 million, give or you know, he's, he's going to end up with this deal. I'm curious if it's a one plus one and then he gets a bigger – they re you know, they re-sign him in a year. This was a nod and wink type of thing, and then they give him bigger money in a year. But I also think this. Harden put pressure on himself by doing this in the sense that this team now has the pieces to contend. I mean, it's going to be tough in an East with Boston, who got better, Milwaukee, who will be healthy. But this is a team that's right there, and when you get deep into the playoffs, they're going to – the role players are there on this team now with Maxi, with everybody else they've got. It's going to be on Embiid, who has had huge playoff games and I kind of believe in, but he's, he's got to stay healthy, but I believe in. And then it comes down to Harden. There's Harden has not had great playoff games under pressure. There's a long history of playoff struggles for James Harden. It's on him now. Like he is the number two player on a playoff team and he may be in more of a facilitation role. Than he was, he's not going to have to score like he did in Houston, but it's on him. He is going to have to step up and play in the playoffs at a high level if this team is going to contend with the likes of Boston, Milwaukee. But he's been to the finals with with that OKC team, Kevin Durant. That, that was different, though. I think again, he was six man. It's a very yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, with this with this, with this team though, you look at you know uh, you got guys like you mentioned at Tybal. P.J. Tucker, that that addition, um, Daniel House, Tobias Harris. You know, what what are your thoughts on on Harris? I like Tobias Harris. By the way, fantastic in Hustle. I thought he was great. Um, <laughs> by the way, what was a surprisingly good movie. That's a topic for another day. But like, I enjoyed that more than I expected. Um, I think he's a good player, but he's a he's a little maybe overpaid for what he is. He's a number what three option. Yeah, and, and he's making he's making thirty five, thirty six million dollars a year. He's getting overpaid for what he is. He's probably, honestly, on this team with look, Joel Embiid is option number one. Then it's Harden, probably Maxi. Before I mean, like, is, is it Maxi or Harris? That might be a matchup dependent thing. But like, hmm. he's the third or fourth option. He's just kind of overpaid for what he is. But he's solid in what he does. He plays hard on both ends. He, he's doesn't beat you. He doesn't make mistakes. Like, not a bad player. I think the concern with him is simply you're paying him $15 million more than you probably should. Yeah, I think when we look at that that roster, the thing that stands out to me is, you know, who, who's your who's your veteran? Like, as far as, like, you know, really great veteran guy with championship DNA experience, they had Danny Green, right? That was, like, the one guy that they kind of leaned on, and now – is PJ Tucker now your veteran guy? Because he won with the Bucks. 
I don't know if he, he fits that role for them. So that's kind of when I'm looking at this roster, I'm like, well, like who's going to show the way? There always needs to be someone to show the way, especially in Philly, because we know that, you know, they go as their leader goes and their lead has been Embiid. Um, and what we've seen is flashes of brilliance and, you know, and inconsistency, which makes sense because that's has, that has been Embiid's career to this point. And, it, and he's super young and he has, you know, a ton of talent. But the fact of the matter is that has been what we've seen. And it makes sense that the team follows. So someone needs to be there to, to show the way. And I thought Doc Rivers would be able to do that alone, but you need the you need the veteran presence in the locker room. You've been in this. It, does leadership can it come really come top down from a coach, or at some point does there need to be a locker room? No, yeah, for sure. No, you you need you need your. I believe you need that franchise player to be um, what I would call a servant leader. And what I mean by that is the comments that Harden and Durant are making are like the comments that Steph Curry was making years ago. See what I'm saying? And like Tim Duncan made years ago. Like, you know, it's like, it's not about you. It should never be about your, your like, you know, how much money can I make or my deals or, you know, my brand or what's best for me in my career. It's never been about that. Like, I, I always go back to like, who is the, who is the DNA of championship winning in basketball? The correct answer is Bill Russell, right? So like when, when Bill Russell was a rookie, I love this interview. Like I, re I reference it so much because it's, it's true. And it's a treasure trove. It's like a PhD in championships. He's talking to Red Auerbach and like their conversation is basically like, Red, like I want to win. So that is the only thing that matters to me. Whatever role you need me to take. If Kuzi's the top guy, I'm fine with that. You know, if I'm the top guy, I'm fine with that. Like, whatever you need me to do. If you need me to rebound, if you need me to score, like, I want to win championships. He came in as a rookie day one with that mentality. And we don't see that in today's NBA. It's more like, what can I make? And then after, like, 10 years, it's like, now I want to yeah. be a team player. No, I think that's true. The exceptions to that rule, um, like you mentioned, Curry, like, he's got rings because of it, right? Yeah, exactly. And, th and that's the thing that I think the servant leadership is so interesting is because when you um, put other people in the, in the team ahead of you and you have support from the head coach and from ownership and from the GM who then give you the pieces around you, you make everybody money. You know, and that's what we saw with Curry and the Warriors. It's like Draymond Green's career, you know, like you look Clay Thompson's career, you know, um, Wiggins, like he was one of those guys who was going to go on that max route get bought out and then now he, he just has a, a renaissance he's reestablished his value because of playing next to, to Steph curry on that team like when when you are when you go that way you're like a keystone species everything around you flourishes so that's what i mean is like and that's just as you mentioned there are exceptions for a reason there's like how many tim duncans are there how many steph curry's are there how many bill russell's are there like you can count them on one hand because they're so rare so i don't expect every team to have that but the fact of the matter in Philadelphia is that's what they need. They need Joel to become that, and it, he can become that. He's like 28, right? Like how old is he? 27. Yeah, I think that's. Yeah, he can become that, but that's that's the shift I think. And then to do that, you need someone to teach you. Yeah, and and Tucker might be that guy. He is certainly the established vet, been around, right, and and has won a lot. So and is and has a ring. So. Okay. Next up in Utah. So we, we're looking at this Utah Jazz scenario. It's a little bit of a, I feel like we're in a theme park. I have no idea what to expect. It's just thrill and suspense. Uh, what would you ask for for Donovan Mitchell in a trade scenario? Well, and this is interesting because Utah's previous trade, that's the benchmark, doesn't it? They got four first round picks for Rudy Gobert, plus the number 22 guy in this draft. Three of those picks are unprotected. 
that's the baseline now, isn't it? And that's and it frankly is part of the problem with Kevin Durant, the challenge in trading Kevin Durant, which is, well, Kevin Durant's a better player than Rudy Gobert, so we should get more. But more is not really out there on the market for Kevin Durant right now, in part because teams are concerned he might just leave. Like he's not happy in Brooklyn. Can we make him happy? Mitchell is a everybody likes Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell's great in the community. He's a genuinely good person. Um, I think he'll, by the way, I think he'll keep his connections and be active in Utah long after he's gone. Like he's that kind of guy. Um, they want picks. They, like they, I think the baseline is going to be, and I've heard this, and I know Tony Jones from The Athletic has talked about this. The baseline's five. We got five for Rudy. You got to give us five. And by the way, we would like, who do you take? Obi Toppin, Quentin Grimes, who looked fantastic at Summer League. Um, Emmanuel quickly, like what should their young players come to? And I think that that's where the negotiations are. I don't, I don't see Tyler Hero going there because you the same for the same reason R.J. Barrett probably doesn't go, which is Utah's rebuilding, and you're going to have to pay Hero or or uh, R.J. Barrett a lot of money. Like they're up for their new contracts off their rookie deals. They're about to make a ton of money. That's that's not where Utah is. Like those are great players, but that's not, like they're not necessarily on the timeline financially that they want. These other guys are a little younger on different deals. Like I think ultimately they get it done. But I, much like the Durant thing and everybody being on vacation, we were talking about earlier. It's that I've heard the talks have just slowed slowed way down. Like it just there's not nobody's talking about much of anything right now. Yeah, it's just one of those like all of a sudden things where it's like we're waiting, 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 and then all of a sudden we're going to see blockbuster trade. Uh, it kind of reminds me of uh, Kyrie Irving. Remember when he left um, Cleveland? Do you remember this? Uh, yeah. This is a different scenario, but it just kind of reminds me of like what the asking price for him. And remember, LeBron was the guy in Cleveland. This is a different scenario because Donovan Mitchell is the guy. But when, when Kyrie left, uh, the Boston Celtics gave up Isaiah Thomas. Remember at the time was like the face of the franchise. And it was balling out. So to me, that's kind of like like I'm with you. I think at the very at the very least, the way that the place that Utah is in, you're gonna you're gonna have to ask for whoever the face of your franchise is, plus a couple players, plus a couple you know first round picks. Um, and that that's a that's a steep asking price. That's a very steep asking price. Yeah, it is. By the way, the other interesting thing in this, people can forget, if you're Utah, you kind of want to move on from Donovan Mitchell because your best asset going into next year, where with Wambayala and, and Scoot Henderson stuff, there's potential franchise guys, it looks like, at the top of the next draft. Your best asset is your own pick. They still control their own first-round pick. And if they are if they trade Mitchell and this is a rebuilding process and they're going to lose a lot of games, that's going to be – they're in the mix, right? The lottery odds are flat, but probably a top five, top six pick and get – that asset may be more valuable as a rebuilding block than anything they get in the trade, right? Like their own pick may be the most valuable one. So what exactly are your, your power rankings for this upcoming season? Uh, it, it, it's, it feels like it's in flux because of everything we've been talking about, but Golden State starts on top, right? Because the champions get to start on top, barring, you know, Mark Cuban blowing up the, rock, the Mavericks back in 2010. Um, back then. Um, Boston second, who I think had a fantastic offseason. Yeah, amazing. I, I think that they got smarter and smart moves. They got better. Milwaukee third, because I thought they were maybe the best team second best in the league last year. Certainly third. And, and they get Chris Middleton back and healthy. Uh, didn't really make a lot of changes. I have the Clippers for. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. I'm 
really high on them. It, look, it's a I'm betting on Kawhi Leonard's knees. Like it's if but if Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are healthy, that is a verse they've rounded out that roster beautifully, right? Like they want to go big, we can play with Zubats. You want to go small, we can play Marcus Morris at the five and Kawhi at the four and Paul George at the three. And we've got shooters in Kennard, and they've got Beverly to go out and get John Wall to help run the point. Like uh, Robert Covington is there. Uh, you can go on and on down the list. This is a deep, versatile roster. If Kawhi is back to being Kawhi, I, I genuinely believe this team has a shot to win it all, which is a win. I'm their owner. I mean, they're willing to spend too. Yeah. I, yeah. Yes. The, 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 they will have a bigger tax. They are set as currently constructed. They would actually have a bigger tax bill than the Warriors, who set the record last year. They would have a slightly bigger tax bill, to which I believe Steve Ballmer's reaction is, meh. Mm-hmm. Who's, uh, who's fifth? Oh, I'm sorry. After, after, yeah, after that comes uh, Memphis, taking a step forward, do you think, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Number six, Philadelphia, who I also, we talked about, I think had a really good offseason. We talked about with House and, and Tucker and stuff. We were just talking about them. At seven, I have number at Phoenix. They're still going to be very good. They won the most games last year. This might be the little low for them, but how happy is DeAndre Ayton? Really? Can they smooth everything over? Does Chris Paul keep playing at the level? Do they stay healthy? I think a lot of things have gone went right for them to win 64 games. I'm not sure that they're capable of doing that again, but they're certainly seventh might be too low. And I kind of feel the same way about Miami at eight. Like yeah. they the East last year, they run everybody back. They could be better. Tyler Hero could take a step forward. This might be a little low for them. Uh, they do lose PJ Tucker, but I just I think that they're going to be very good. Um, it's it almost feels like a disappointing off season for Miami, doesn't it? Because they well, did, I mean, after last year when they got Kyle Lowry, yeah, they they didn't land Durant. They didn't land they they didn't they, they haven't landed Durant yet. They haven't landed Mitchell. They've been in the mix for those. If they don't get those guys, it weirdly feels disappointing, even though they're going to run back. To the top. So I they're going to be very good. Whether they can really compete with Boston, Milwaukee remains to be seen at Denver healthy Murray um, Michael Porter Jr. obviously Jokic uh, good role players around them I think that they are capable of getting in the mix in the West and number 10 Minnesota we, wow I, I think they didn't they get better I mean they got Rudy Gobert they bring back they actually add Kyle Anderson they got good role players around there Brent Forbes I think is there like they add Good role players and veterans and some defense around Carl Anthony Towns, who they extended. Ant should take it. Ant, by the way, looks cool. Talk about guys who look good and hustle. Um, he's ready to take a step forward. Like, I think that they're like, – I'm not sure that they're built for the playoffs, but I think they're going to win a lot of regular season games, Corey. You, I think uh, – what about – didn't the, the Bulls resign Levine? You don't think they're – Close or like I, the Cavaliers, you know, none of those other teams in the East. I feel Cavaliers, I might have too low. I have the Bulls and Cavaliers kind of in the mid teens. Like, I do the Bulls take a step forward? I think the thing is, they were, and again, maybe I'm sleeping on this because I'm thinking of the second half of the year. The first half of the season, when Lonzo Ball was healthy and Alice Caruso was healthy, their defense was good, right? Like, they were disruptive, they caused problems, they were tied into February and close to the all-star break, they were tied for first or in first place. Like they were in the East, like they had a great season and they did it without Patrick Williams, right? Yeah. Who I think um, 
if he if he's healthy, he could be a real force and a factor for them. So I might be sleeping on them. Cleveland could be taking a step forward too. Um, but that's kind of where I've got it now. Like I I feel like there are a lot of teams and Denver's in there, Minnesota's in there. There's a lot of good teams with some questions that I'm really curious to see how it shakes out when the game starts getting played. Yeah, I, I think the, the biggest surprise for me is Dallas. You know, where, where's Dallas? I, I feel like to me, I, I mean, I would put Dallas over Minnesota. Or And then the other one that I would be like a little, little interesting to me, I, I was I was surprised, and, and not in the top 10, but I always want to mention a healthy Zion, CJ McCollum. New Orleans is looking interesting, not top 10, but intriguing. But to me, Dallas is not making the list is shocking. They're one of those teams that could be very well be top 10. If everything comes together for them and having we talked about the importance of leadership how much does cj mccullum mean to that team how does yeah. having that guy in front of them i think it's a huge plus um i i think they're there i have i think with dallas i have them 11th but i think this is where losing brunson hurts like i mm-hmm. think they'll be good in the regular season because luca and five out and like they know who they are they know what they want to they have an MVP level player, but I think not having Brunson ultimately hurts them a little, especially if if Luca has to miss, you know, brains a finger and misses a week and a half or something. Yeah, well, I mean, look, anytime I get a chance to hear what you think about, you know, the power rankings, it's always a great pleasure for me because I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm going to be back eating that pizza, back at the museum, going through, <laughs> going through your list and thinking through it. Yeah, it's it's it's. It's so much this year, point of the year, it's so much opinion on what could be and how many questions there are because, you know, eventually there'll be data. There'll be wins and losses and and actual information. But right now it's kind of like a mix of how good do I think they are and how is their offseason? One of the most uh, exciting things this summer is the summer league. Uh, I know um, some some teams balled out. Portland won the championship, got rings. Well, we, well, by the way, what was your take on that? The whole ring ceremony on Summer League. That was a little strange. I'm like, it's kind of a dubious honor, isn't it? Like, it's, hey, our guys from on the bench from 11 through 13 are better than yours? Like, I didn't, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I thought it was interesting because, you know, I think when you look at, I'll never forget a conversation I had with a, with a minor league baseball player one time on a plane. And he was like in his late 20s, let's say like 27, 28 for the sake of our conversation. And he was telling me, you know, how hard it was, um, that lifestyle. You have a wife and two small kids and, you know, you're holding on to a dream. And the, the difference for you might be politics. Somebody got drafted higher than you and that's their guy, you know, and you believe you're good enough, but you're like right there. And then after like one year, do you give up? Do you give up after five years? Do you give up after 10 years? Like when is the time to, to give up on a dream? And I was like, this is a really heavy conversation for a plane ride. I just met you. But, you know, but it was really interesting because, um, I think that's the summer league conversation. Like, you know, yeah. Paul, how many games is Ben Carroll going to play? You know, the answer is like two. <laughs> like everyone knows how good he is. Everyone knows how good Chet is, Chet Holmgren is, and Jabari Smith, all these guys. It's an opportunity for everybody else to get the chance, you know, to, to live out their dreams. So the fact of the matter is this might be the only championship they win at a professional stage. So I'm cool with the ring ceremony. I thought that was a really cool touch to it because of the, you know, the vast majority of players – who this is it? This might be it for them. They may never even make a roster on the NBA. Now they um, might you know what the real business of summer league is in, in a lot of ways, and, and people don't realize it. You, you've got a couple guys who are on every team ballpark who will be in the N, on an NBA roster, maybe a two way. A handful of guys will play in the G League. 
Most of these guys will be playing in Europe. This, this place is loaded with European scouts who are there to get the best player on. The guy who's not impressing us as an NBA talent is going to be the best player on his team in Turkey, right? Or Greece or wherever. And these scouts are there finding these guys. And, hey, we need, a, we need an elite center or a wing or whatever they need. And they go get where they spend their money. And they it's, it's that's a lot of the business of Summer League. It's And if you talk to those players, you, you'll hear them sitting around going, have you played in Belgium? Like, what's it like? What's the experience? You know, like trying to get a sense of, of these teams and, the, and their agents too. So it's kind of fascinating. And by the way, Boncaro looked great. You're right, Holmgren looked great. Keegan Murray looked really good for this game. Like, that guy is good. He could win Rookie of the Year like good. Like, he's going to fit right. What did you think about the uh, the more the light stuff? You know, like Richard Jefferson wasn't he a referee? <laughs> I like you know what I love that I I think more analysts. I'm not sure I should do this, but I think more analysts Corey should do this, not me. But more analysts should go through that because I think it would give us a different perspective. Like it's easy for us to sit there and go, "How did they miss that ball?" or "How did you like to think it's obvious when it's never really obvious?" These ch- block charge calls or, or what is what too much bodying of a guy in the like where are these lines i think putting someone in that position gives them a different perspective right like anytime you can walk a mile in someone else's shoes it will give you that better perspective and, and i think it would also give you an edge up in in your analyst game because you think about like you know kobe Bryant was reading like the referee playbook wasn't he in the same like i know that they won't see me holding here because they have to be here here and here on the floor when the ball's in this position you know so it's like stuff like that it's like really it's fascinating to me kind of understanding uh like the the requirements of someone else's job it reminds me of like uh, i met this one hotel director and he's like the only way to become a managing director at hotels you work through every single uh, like you work in the kitchen, you work the front desk, you work laundry. So you understand like, what are the, what are the asks that I can actually, you know, request? Like this is not feasible because, you know, you would know that if you had worked the front desk, you know? And I thought that's like a really interesting aspect of leadership. A great point. Uh, we also saw Miles Garrett uh, warming up with, with the cameras. <laughs> so I, I, that also brings up to, uh, to our mind, our, our super producer, Dan asked, well, if you had a starting five across all different sports, uh, who'd be, you know, good for a summer league team or an NBA team? Who, who are you going with? So I have my list. I want to hear what you got. But let, let me hear your list because I think you put real thought into this. You came up with a really interesting list. Yeah. So you know, I think my point guard would be Roy McRoy. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I just feel like I feel like he'd be one. He's he's a basketball fan, um, so that's a good start. Two, you know, he uh, he was quoted one time saying that he idolized Kobe Bryant. So I feel like okay, that's great. Uh, so he loves the game. He's a Lakers fan. Um, and I feel like there's like that Steve Nash, he grew up playing soccer. So I feel like there, maybe there's like a little bit of Steve Nash, you know, you know, a lot of basketball players play golf. Why don't golf players play? You know, I was like, maybe Rory. Uh, then I go straight height, you know, I, I have to go Darren Waller. I have to go Jimmy Graham. You know, I need, I need six, 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 seven tight ends on my team. I go for my center, John Isner. Yeah. And I think from the last player on my team is a, is a, is a swimmer. Um, uh, I, I was going to go with Michael Phelps, but I decided to go uh, Caleb Dressel. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So I'm good. Th- that brings my average age down, I think, to like 32, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, it's still like that's like the Lakers roster. I'm kind of nervous. A little older team, but I'm that's like, kind of my starting five. I, I'm not worried about Dressel's conditioning. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, so I, that's kind of where I went with it. The other guys I had, I, I point guard just because I, I look. I'm in LA. I'm fascinated by him as an athlete. I think Eric Donald would be 
fascinating. Like, talk about, I want to see him fight through. But try to set a pick that he's not going to fight through, right? Like he's just going to destroy people. Um, and then the other couple I had, I was thinking like you. I went with Aaron Judge, Yankees slugger, six seven. Yeah, probably played a little. Um, and uh, I I went NHL because I do love my hockey when I get the it's and I miss getting to watch it because it kind of overlaps with the job. But today, Chara, longtime NHL journeyman, a 6'9 bruiser. Like he, he's my guy in the middle. I'm going to put him in the middle, and he's just going to be a force. You're going to be like a 1990s basketball team. Exactly. Pat Riley would love my team, man. <laughs> <laughs> for more information on, on uh, what we got coming up for you and all the stuff that Kurt's team's working on, we got to go to NBCSports.com backslash NBA. Kurt, I cannot wait until the next time we talk story on PBT Extra. I always love it. Thanks, Corey. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.